0: And thanks for listening. It's, uh, it's really great to see all of you here this afternoon. Thank you for joining us for worship. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, Lawson mentioned, uh, re- referenced that this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And in light of that, yesterday, about... Uh, 80 or 100 of us from City Church gathered here down in the fellowship hall, and we had a day of service. And one of the things that we did during that uh, day of service, it was really a morning of service, was we prepared some kits to hand out to the unhoused uh, people in our city. And we have some boxes in the narthex with those packets. It has some some food and some health care some hygiene items and it would be a great thing to keep stashed in your car or at your home in case um, you you run into or you meet some people who are in need so on your way out and i'll try to remind you of this at the end of the service but on your way out would you grab a a couple of those and take them with you Uh, my name is eric Bonkowski. i'm one of the pastors here at city church and i'll be sharing with us this afternoon and today we are going to start a new sermon series here at city church and i say that and some of you are some of you care about that and then others of you are like the sermons are in series at city church i had no idea they are Um, and today we're going to start a new series for the last seven years at City Church every January we've been preaching our way through the book of Genesis last year we finished Genesis the first book of the Bible so today January 2023 we're going to start Exodus yeah the second book of the Bible we're going to work our way through Exodus we're not going to go through the whole thing here in 2023 but we'll go through the first few chapters Now, why Exodus? Why should we preach through Exodus other than it made the decision easy for me because it's the book that comes after Genesis? Well, uh, there's a lot of great stuff that happens in Exodus. Exodus is where we learn about the Passover, which uh, is kind of a a Jewish uh, ritual that has a lot of meaning for Christians as well. And the Exodus is also the book where we first get the Ten Commandments, Those are well-known within Christianity, so that's coming. But fundamentally, why we preach through Exodus and what Exodus is about as a book is rescue. That's the point of Exodus, it's rescue. And I was thinking about that this week, and I think that we all love a rescue story. There's something deep within us, in our hearts and our bones, that, that resonates with the idea of rescue. and and so i want you to think for a minute about great rescue stories maybe it's a a rescue in your own life a personal rescue story or maybe it's something that comes to mind from history or from a culture a movie or a book that is a a a great rescue story i actually want you as this series goes on i want you to tell me the rescue stories that are most resonant with you i asked this question uh at our dinner table last night I, i asked what What comes to mind when you think of a great rescue story? And um, my wife actually mentioned one that I had forgotten about, and it's the story of uh, baby Jessica. Now, some of you are probably too young to even know what that is. But in 1987 in Midland, Texas, an 18-month-old girl fell down a well, baby Jessica McClure, and she was stuck in that well for over two days. And uh, everyone in the United States, and maybe even beyond, was, uh, was grabbed by this story and the efforts and the plans to try to rescue her from this well. And what they ended up doing was they, they drilled a, a well shaft parallel to the one that she had fallen in, and they drilled down to about where they thought she was stuck, and then they drilled horizontally across, and they were able to free her And she survived and she had very few long-term effects from over two days stuck in the well. It's a great rescue story. And even as I tell it, it resonates, doesn't it? Maybe you feel a shiver down your spine or you feel goosebumps because there's something about a great rescue story. And that's why Exodus is so important for us. Where have you been rescued in your life? Or maybe more pointedly, even still, where do you need to be rescued? Where do you feel that today? Well, as we read through Exodus, we're going to enter into a great rescue story from God. So let's begin by looking at the first chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 22. And anytime we start a new chapter, sermon series, especially in the Old Testament, our administrator Val, her, her only question is, so are we going to have really long sermon passages again? And I was like, yeah, we, we are. So um, read with me. These words are printed in the worship guide, or you can follow along in your Bible or on your phone. Here's God's word for us this afternoon. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. and the other, Pua. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the kingdom of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank thank you for your word, and we ask now that by your spirit you would give us a desire to readily accept and even devour this your word, that it would be bread for us, that it would be food for our souls. We ask that you would give us a spirit that would find joy and take delight in your word, because it leads us to see how you rescue us through your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. The first chapter of most books is setting the stage, and it's no different when we come to the book of Exodus. This first chapter is setting the stage for the rest of the action that's going to take place. And I think the key point that Moses wants us to understand as we open the book of Exodus is that life in Egypt is full of heavy burdens. That's really the center of this passage, especially verses 8 through 14. Again and again, uh, Moses is underlining, he's highlighting the fact that life in Egypt is full of heavy burdens. And we learn from our study of Genesis that even the the country of Egypt, even the name of Egypt was a signal, it was a symbol of a dangerous place, of a godless place, of a place where uh, Israel would be enslaved but at the very end of genesis the sons of israel the sons of abraham had all gone down to egypt because there was a famine in their land and their only hope for food was in egypt and they had found out that their brother their long lost brother joseph was in power in egypt he was like the governor he was the right hand man to the king of egypt and so there's in this godless place in this hopeless place of egypt there's a glimmer of hope that joseph Is there but what we learn in verse 8 and following is now Joseph has died and the people of Israel the sons of Abraham are feeling the heavy burden of life in Egypt we're told in verse 8 that a new king has taken power and this is a king who didn't know Joseph didn't remember the ways that he had helped the kingdom of Egypt. And then we get this litany, we get this list of of all of the ways that Egypt is acting towards God's people. It says in verse 10, let us deal shrewdly with them. It says in verse 11, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. It says in verse 13, they ruthlessly made the people work As slaves it says in verse 14 they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field in all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves life in Egypt for the people of God is a life of heavy burdens and Pharaoh is postured for us as someone who opposes God's people And he doesn't just oppose God's people, he opposes God's intention for all people. He opposes the very mandate of creation. If we remember all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, God creates humanity and he wants them uh, to care for the earth. He wants them to flourish and grow and multiply, to be full of life and Pharaoh is a symbol he he represents all that is against the flourishing of God's people that's what the that's what Moses wants us to understand here in Exodus 1 he's setting the stage of all the ways that Pharaoh that Egypt represents opposition to the life that we're supposed to live why is this important Why is Exodus 1 then resonant for us? Well, it's simple really. It's because our lives too are full of heavy burdens. Julie sort of joked earlier in the service that this this is our, our annual seasonal affect disorder Sunday. But really what it is, it's a Sunday where we gather to recognize that human life is marked by heavy burdens that there are people, that there is sin, that there are systems and structures that oppose us and grind us down that might make life bitter. There is sin that enslaves us in the same way that Israel was enslaved to Egypt. We are not enslaved literally, but we are enslaved to forces, that bind us and keep us from being what God has designed us to be. You know, in the history of the church, in the history of the world, really, this story of Exodus, it has been understandably cherished by oppressed people. It's a story that was cherished by Israel why it's in the Bible. It's a story that also, closer to home, has been cherished by African Americans, especially the descendants of slaves in our country, because they were enslaved literally, because they knew bondage, because they knew the heavy burden of life. And I do not in any way want to uh, minimize what Israel suffered or what uh, our African American brothers and sisters suffered. But we also can enter into this story. It's the power of literature that speaks to all people across time. It's what makes the rescue story of, resonant, uh, the rescue story of Exodus resonant for all of us. You all uh, who've been at City Church for a while know that I'm not uh, super big on podcasts. But i like it when you tell me recommendations of things to listen to anyway but one podcast that i do listen to regularly is called poetry unbound and the premise is simple Uh, Patrick otuma he's the host he reads a poem and then he discusses it for about 15 minutes and then he reads the poem again and this fall i was listening to this podcast and i i i came across i was introduced to a new word that i never heard before it's a german word and you know how they're german words for like everything um, and they, they, they capture uh, life in this world so well. And so the German word that I learned, and I might mispronounce it, it's weltschmerz. Welt, weltschmerz. And what it means literally is world sorrow or world pain. And I think it's such a great word because it's something that we can all identify with. And it's, it's less a word that is uh, talking about things that we've suffered, although that can be included in it, but it's the pain and sorrow that we begin to feel and know as other people go through it. And so uh, sometimes people will say, "I have a, today I'm struggling because I have a little bit of the weltschmerz on me. I'm carrying around world weariness, world sorrow. I think that's what we're meant to feel when we read Exodus 1. To know that life is filled with heavy burdens. It was in ancient Egypt and it is today. And it grinds us down. It pulverizes us. It breaks our will. And And here's the thing about Exodus 1. It makes it even worse. Here's kind of the the, the knife being turned a little bit in the wound. Is that in the midst of this life of heavy burdens, it seems as though God is nowhere to be found. It seems as though God is absent. Did you notice that as I read through here, there, there isn't a lot of talk about God in Exodus 1. There's a lot of talk about Pharaoh. There's a lot of talk about being slaves. There's a lot of talk about oppression. There isn't a lot of talk about God. And that's how our lives can feel, can't they? Especially when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances. Especially when we feel as though we're carrying heavy burdens. We look around and we say, where is God in the midst of this? That's what the reflection quote at the top of the worship guide is getting at. Experience without explanation, adversity without purpose, hostility without protection. That is how life will always appear for the earthly people of God. Does that resonate with any of you? Does that make you cry out for rescue to wonder when and where rescue is going to come from? You see, our lives are heavy with burden, and then they're they're made even more difficult by the apparent absence of God. and pretty much not a week goes by in my life as a pastor where I'm not having a conversation with one of you, where you are struggling to believe that God is present and that God is good and that God is for you. Because you look around and you and your family are dealing with infertility or miscarriage or loss. Or you look around and in your family or in your group of friends, the cruelness of death has interrupted. Either a shocking death that came before it should have, or the the slow, agonizing demise of cancer or some other disease. Where is God in the midst of these burdens that I carry, this world sorrow that's everywhere on me? And for some of you, it's it's maybe nothing quite as dramatic. It's just the daily disappointments that have... uh, built up year in and year out you see how we're we're longing for rescue like the people of Israel and Exodus 1 starts on a sour note but this is setting the stage and what I want to point out here to, to close out the sermon is two sources of hope in the midst of a life filled with heavy burdens god shows us that he's going to come and rescue how does he do that well he does it in two ways and the first is he does it by reminding us of the promises of god so when life is pressing us down with burdens when we're longing for that rescue we are meant to look to the promises of god And exodus chapter one is full of illusions and echoes of these promises in two ways really first it's the promise of god to abraham And to the sons of Jacob, the first Hebrew word in the book of Exodus is and. It actually doesn't show up in our English translation, but in Hebrew, the first word is and. It says, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. Why is that important? Well, and is a conjunction. It's intentionally tying the book of Exodus to the book of Genesis. It says, this is continuing a longer, larger story, and I know it looks bleak in Egypt, But I want you to remember my great promises to the people of God all throughout Genesis. I will be with you. I will make you a great nation. I will never leave you or forsake you. And even when it looks like I'm absent, I am still there. The promises of God are what help us endure through life's afflictions and so the book starts with this word and and then it says and these are the names of the sons of israel who came to egypt with jacob and it goes on and it lists out all these sons and this is word for word a repetition of genesis chapter 46. again it's it's linking us it's anchoring us to the promise of god in genesis that promise that we traced, that we held fast to, even in Egypt, the promise of God still stands. You know, the, the, the Hebrew name for this book is not Exodus. That's the English name that we've given to it. The Hebrew name is names. It's taken from the first word, and these are the names. I think what that means for us is that God knows the names of his people yeah Reuben and Gad and Asher and Naphtali and God knows your name too God knows our names hold fast to that promise when you're weighed down with life's burdens but it's not just the promise of God that he's made to Abraham or to Israel to that nation that we're reminded of we're reminded of a bigger of an older promise even and that's the promise that God made at creation to his people That's why in Exodus 1, there are all these echoes of Genesis 1 and 2. You can see it maybe most clearly in verse 7. It says, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. That means literally they were swarming, they were teeming. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that land was filled with them. That language echoes precisely the language of creation, when God created the world, and, it was, uh, and, and all the plants multiplied, and all the animals multiplied, and then mankind came, Adam and Eve, and they were to multiply too. You see, even in Egypt, in this land of heavy burdens, there's an echo, there's a callback to the fundamental, never-changing promise of God, you will flourish. I promise. I've said it, and so it must be true and there's a call back to that again later in verse 12. it says the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread abroad it's not rooted in the strength of israel it's rooted in the promise of god to be with his people So the promise of god is the first thing that gives us hope that god is coming to rescue even when life is filled with heavy burdens here's the second thing here's a second source of hope the the second pointer to this rescue it's the hebrew midwives these remarkable characters says in verse 17 but the midwives feared god and did not do as the king of egypt commanded them but let the male children live. You see, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, what he had in mind was nothing short of genocide. It was nothing short of ethnic cleansing. It was an organized campaign to stamp out all of Israel by killing their children, by killing babies, by killing sons and daughters. seemed hopeless. This was a, a governmental program meant to eradicate a people but what the king of Egypt didn't account for was the faithful God-fearing midwives they play a remarkable role in this story probably before today you'd never heard of Shipra or Pua I certainly hadn't before I read this but their names are memorialized for us because of their faithfulness. These are ordinary women doing their ordinary work to facilitate the rescue of God, to rescue God's people. They are quite literally delivering from the shadow of death these babies. They are a a picture, they are a portrait of resistance to the empire. Resistance to all the forces that work against true humanity. that, That try to oppress and push down and burden us with things that would keep us from being what God designed us to be. Faithful Midwives. And so through their faithfulness, through their work, we see the effect in verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew strong. It was the midwives who became the conduits of the promise of God, the original creation promise. Remarkable faithfulness. That gives us hope remarkable faithfulness in the most ordinary places showing up doing their daily work doing what they had been called to do doing what they had been trained to do became the conduit of the promise of God so in light of these two things the promise of God and these faithful midwives I have two applications for us in wherever we find our life filled with heavy burdens, where we feel like we're in Egypt, where we are longing for rescue, the first application is this. Trust the promise of God despite what the circumstances of your life look like. We have to believe that God's promise is truer and fuller and richer even than the things that we'll encounter this week and next month or this year. God's promise is greater. And and for us in particularly, we who now, thousands of years later, have seen God keep his promise through Jesus Christ. I haven't said much about Jesus here, right? But the, the connection point is that if we're longing for a rescue story, if we're longing to be freed from the heavy burdens of life, we know that God fulfills that promise through Jesus Christ. He is the the, the better exodus. He is the better rescue. And time and time again in this sermon series, we'll come back to see how Jesus fulfills for us what God did for the people of Israel through the exodus. So trust the promise of God, despite the circumstances you find yourself in. The second application is this. Be a midwife. In whatever place or whatever field God calls you to do that, be a midwife. And what I mean by that is tend to human life in the midst of a culture of death in ordinary and simple ways. This is acts of ordinary resistance done to to picture and prepare. Claim the promise of God. You know, again, I, it, as Lawson was talking, it made me think that what they're doing with Urban Hope is housing midwifery. And it's beautiful, right? She talked about a prophetic voice announcing the promise of God through simple actions, mundane things like uh, rental agreements and checks for rent So that in the midst of a system of gentrification that would push people out of the homes that they grew up in and that their grandmothers lived in, would say, no, let me be a midwife for you to stay in this house, to stay in this community, to be a part of beloved community. there, There are two other examples that I thought of around midwifery of what that looks like. And one of them is parenting. If you have kids, you are raising your kids in the midst of a culture and a society that in many ways is anti-human, that goes against God's design of how we are meant to live. And you are tasked to be a midwife of your child, to pull them out of that culture of death and point them to true fullness of life. Do that. Be a midwife. The other example is friendship. Whether or not you have kids, be a friend. Because again, structurally there is so much in our lives, there is so much in our social media, there is so much in our workplaces that works against a flourishing life of interdependence, of love and sacrifice for one another. And the way that we counteract that is by being friends, midwives to one another. To cultivate, to call forth life from death acts of ordinary resistance trusting in the promise of god those two things will picture hope for you and for the people around you and it will help all of us to endure life in egypt life under the heavy burdens you know exodus 1 ends with this it ends with the command of Pharaoh saying, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. And what we're going to see next week, literally, is a son of the Hebrew who's cast into the Nile. His name is Moses. And he will become the rescuer for the people of Israel. And Moses will prefigure, he will foreshadow another rescuer who would come later, Jesus. So even here, from the very mouth of Pharaoh comes the fulfillment of the promise comes the rescue of God even if it looks like he's not there God's promise is true and he will be faithful let's pray father we thank you for the rescue story of exodus we pray that you would bless our time reading through it together this winter at city church Help us to identify with the people of Israel, to groan under the heavy burdens that we carry, but then to look in faith to your promise and to act in faithfulness as your midwives calling forth life even from places that seem only like death. We pray that you would do this for our good and for the glory of your name and we ask it through Jesus, amen.